Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. We're glad that you're here. My name is Brent. I'm the teaching pastor. And if this is your first time, you picked a great day to come check us out. We are in part four of a series we're calling Spirituality for the Rest of Us. Uh, today's talk is called Fences. Inside of your program is a note sheet. It looks just like this. You can pull it out and follow along uh, with some writing some things down in case I say anything interesting. But the idea of the series has been this. Uh, every church has ideas about how people grow and, and what discipleship looks like and where are you trying to take people in the process of them being a part of a community like this, a community of faith, and growing to be more like Jesus. And so when we sat down to start this church um, seven years ago in a living room, we, had, uh, we sat down and said, all right, what is it going to look like for us? Too? What, are, what are some of the values that we have uh, that shape the structure by which we kind of do things? Uh, and, and we haven't really looked at that, really looked at that. It, it helped influence the things that you see, the things that take place uh, as a part of the organization that's known as Eastlake, but uh, we haven't spent a lot of time discussing it. And so um, we, we sat down with a bunch of people uh, and said, what are some things that you didn't like about where you came from in terms of discipleship and growing and people growing in their faith? Uh, and we got lots of mixed reactions, and it was a, a very hot topic, because here's the problem, is that we, we sat down to try and start a church for people who don't typically like church, but the problem with doing that is the room was filled with people who were already churched. Like, everybody who showed up for that meeting came from somewhere, because they were all our friends that we met at church. Um, and so uh, it would be far easier, I think, or, or better, it would, it would have been better to meet with people who weren't into church and be like, why aren't you into church? Let's do something to make that work. Um, but those people don't like to attend meetings, and they don't like to go to churches, and so it would have been a waste of time. And they, I have those friends, but they didn't respond to my email and my Facebook requests, and so and these people did. And so we said, all right, you come from a church background, but what would it take, what would it look like to do it in, in a different way than what you're used to? And what have you not liked? Um, and that was, a, that was like a Pandora's box of information and conversation for us. Uh, and I, I realized quickly, because some of them had come from very various different churches and denominations, and and yet... One common theme that kept coming up uh, was this idea that what is presented as kind of what is valued is not always delivered, right? The deliverables don't match up with what is promised. Or it's more specifically, uh, there seem to be two types of Christianity. There's like the entry level, the base model, if you will. And then there's the gold package, the XLT version, the... Uh, leather seats, sunroof, that kind of thing. Uh, you get in one way, but then once you're there, you kind of wish you had done, or, or it's it's frowned upon, or, or you realize most people who are already in are chasing after the bigger, better model. Here, here's an example of how this works in real life. If, if you've ever watched uh, a, a car commercial that interrupts your Hulu time, uh, then you've seen this like new Toyota, or this new Honda, or this new Lexus, or whatever, and you're like, oh man, that looks really nice. I bet that smells fantastic. And look at that sunroof and the leather, and, and then on the bottom of the screen, in big, giant white letters, starting at 19.9, and you begin to do the math in your head, and you think, I can afford that. Break that down over 36 months, break that down over 48 months, break that down over 124 months. I can make that work. And if that 124-month comment doesn't freak you out, then we need to do a series on finances real soon. You need to come and be a part of that because that's bad thinking, okay? I'm just trying to save you from that. But if you've, if you've watched those, those things and then you're like, 19.9, is that it? Shoot, I could do that. I could swing that. And then break it down. And only, you know, this lease is only $200 a month. And you're like, I, I, can, I can make that happen. But then in small, much smaller white letters, the very bottom of the screen, what does it say? As shown... $64,000. That's what, that's what happens. 
like the car that you're seeing is, doesn't match up with the price that you're getting, okay? Or uh, if you've ever, maybe you're not, you haven't been in the market for buying a car recently, but because it's summertime and you want to look nice, you've taken your car to Bush Car Wash here in the Tri-Cities. And there's a big giant sign that advertises, what, an $8 car wash. And then you pull in the back, and there's usually a line, and you finally get to the front, and they got their little order menu screen, and you realize that there's four or five different types of washes, and they start at $8, they lead all the way up to $60, and you look at it, and I'm just, that's a joke, not really 60 I don't know what it is, it's 15 something like that. But you get up there, and you say, uh, so what's the difference between an $8 wash and like an $11 wash? And they're like, well, the $11 wash... Uh, we use water, and we, uh, we, <laughs> we wash your car. Uh, so what do you do for the $8 car? We spit on your car, and you're like, oh, well, I don't want that. You know what I mean? In the same way you've gone to a church before, and they have talked about grace, and come as you are, and Jesus, is, Jesus will meet you kind of wherever you're at, and behavioral-wise, here's what you can expect, and you know, lots and lots and lots of grace. And then once you get in, you realize there's a gold package level of Christianity that is uh, kind of an unspoken but definitely utilized piece of most of the people who are in the church. That the expectations for gold package Christianity are higher, there are more rules, there are more obligations, and, and, and there are different, um, different expectations that you, you didn't know about, and yet everybody kind of wants that version. And the favorite hobby of gold package Christianity is to talk about the inadequacies of entry-level Christianity. It's like a favorite topic of them to talk about how it's really, it's not really, I mean, it's, it's Christianity, but uh, like barely, right? Like they're saved, but maybe, probably, maybe saved. I don't know. And so you, you, you've come, you've been a part of a church before, or, you know, you, you got drugged to church at one point, and, and then you realize all of this come as you are language doesn't match up with what is actually expected of me. And you feel like, you feel like the car wash thing, you feel like the car commercial thing, and you feel like, I mean, that, that's not really how it works, that there are, there are certain rules and obligations that are expected of you if you really want to be in this thing for the long haul. And they have to do with heightened expectations, heightened rules. And one of the phrases, and, and a lot of the verses that come up in regularly in messages, or like on, in sermons or teachings, or uh, Facebook posts by church members are, are verses that focus on this, flee from temptation, avoid the appearance of evil, steer clear of anything that might come across or come a- cause somebody else to spiritually stumble. These are like the go-to verses of these people, and they, and they do exist in the Bible, and I do think that they are important um, in, in this, and I, I do think, uh, but there's, there is a huge difference between self-imposing these in my own life versus having somebody serve as kind of an umpire for me and telling me what is a temptation for me, what is the appearance of evil for me, and what is who is my brother and what kind of issues he's struggling with, um, and how, how is my behavior somehow inhibiting him from being able to live out what he has done. And so the idea is because of these three things, therefore, you should live with extra caution, I do believe that God puts up fences in our life to protect us from uh, that thing that we call sin, which is essentially those, those things that actually help us or lead us to engage in self-destructive behavior. They lead us towards pride. They lead us towards being blinded to the fact that our decisions uh, lead to consequences that are not good for us. And so I do think scripture has very clear admonitions in life about, hey, 
Watch yourself in this area. Don't go down this path because if you look at this path and to where it leads, is that the type of person that you want to live up to? And so therefore, here's a fence for you. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Um, that's one of the verses that's in scripture. So what we have done then is don't allow, we've created fences before that. Like I grew up in a, in a household where that was definitely clear. One of those unwholesome talk things was curse words. So therefore no curse words, but that wasn't enough because, um, you know, you never know when those can accidentally blurt out. And, and so therefore what, I, what we would try to do sometimes was instead of saying something, you'd say, gosh, gosh, darn it all the heck. You know what I mean? Uh, and then that would be a fence where you'd be like, well, I don't want you to say that. Um, so therefore you can say, gosh, darn it all the heck, but be careful. Don't, don't do it too often or else when the hammer actually hits the finger, there's probably not going to be a good enough filter in place. So let's just avoid gosh, darn it all the heck. And let's do something even, even safer, right? Even something Andy Griffith wouldn't blush at. Let's do something along these lines. And so what we do is we create these extra fences just to be careful. I, I know it's not a sin. It's not a sin. They would, they would be quick to say, oh, we, we get it. There is nothing in scripture laid out that explicitly prohibits this. However, we feel like it's really smart to play it safe. We feel like, um, you know, when the Bible was written, spaghetti straps were not invented. And so there's no, there's this inappropriate dress thing that we have got to be really careful about in the two-piece bathing suit. You know what? That wasn't really introduced until 19, you know, whatever. So we, we have to, we have to add all of these things because it made, it didn't pass through the filter of, uh, or it missed the filter of, of God's kind of assembling of all of this. And we're helping him out. We're helping God out with all of this. And, and, and the rules as they are presented in scripture are really good. And, but uh, we're afraid that we're afraid of getting too close to the edge. And so let's set up extra fences along the way. That's what, that's what we're talking about today. All of these different extra fences that get put up because the question becomes, if it helps God out, what can it hurt? So I'm, I'm going to, you may have your own examples, and I, I just said the whole gosh darn it all the heck example, and maybe that one was true for you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read through some of the ones that were for me, okay? Uh, extra fences that in my, I grew up in a Christian home, my dad's a pastor, and he's been a pastor my entire life, and so I not only lived with, you know, what is the Christian thing to do, but also um, how do I not get my dad fired? That kind of a lifestyle is also filtering in through their decisions and fences. So my fences were probably higher than even some of the ones that you grew up in. But for me, like one of the fences was I had to hide all of my secular music from my parents. I bought TLC Waterfalls, the CD single when it first came out, but my parents did not know about it. And then what would happen is I would go to summer camp and at summer camp, there would be this message. See, summer camp was five nights long, four nights long, sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we'd go home on Friday. And each night I could kind of tell you I'd been to camp so many times, how it all took place. Monday night was just get to know you, you know, that kind of super fun, aren't we at camp, away from parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. By Wednesday night, there was like this guilt manipulation thing about what you're listening to, what you're watching, who you're dating, what you're touching, that kind of stuff. Um, so therefore, on Wednesday night, it was like burn CDs night. That was, that was like the whole, we'd have a campfire, somebody would get a, get a guitar out there, and they'd start playing, and you'd feel bad, and they'd be like, why don't you go out to your cabin? Why don't you dig through your bag? You got any CDs in there that you're not supposed to be listening to? A little Green Day? Why don't you go grab that Green Day? Why don't you bring that out here? You don't really want to listen to that anymore, right? I mean, you've got this, that's, I know it's, but what happens is you start listening to Green Day and then you start listening to this and then you're smoking pot and then you're doing this and then you're skateboarding and then you're, and then you're going along these lines and do you really want to end up like that? Why don't you go get those CDs? 
we're going to have a big old bonfire. You just toss them right in and watch them melt. And so you'd be like, oh, everybody else is doing it. And so you're like, all right, I'll go. I got 10 CDs. I'll go grab three of them and act like that's all I had. <laughs> I bring them in. I throw them in the bonfire. I watch them melt. And then I'm like, okay, this is expensive. This is an expensive hobby that I'm doing here. I have to be careful about which ones I buy in the future. I base it based on how many months until camp. And that determines which ones I can buy, right? So you're like, oh my gosh, is this real? Absolutely. It's absolutely real. Not making any of this up, Okay. Then also, I, I grew up in North Idaho, um, Coeur d'Alene, which is beautiful, but it's still North Idaho. And so uh, it was a very conservative type of, uh, uh, of a environment and a church that was um, pretty prominent, one of the bigger churches in the area. My dad was uh, lead pastor there. And so uh, perceptions were always a big deal. Um, my, uh, my, my grandparents, I remember this too, my grandparents wouldn't play cards um, because they didn't like the appearance of cards. Dominoes, fair game. We played so much dominoes. But cards, no, because cards had the appearance of gambling. And cards, if you play cards enough, you will eventually end up to be like this deadbeat gambler um, lit on the streets of Vegas, right? Um, so that was the impression. So we set up fences, no gambling. We lived in North Idaho, Coeur d'Alene. My parents would not go to a movie theater, not because they're anti-movies. They would even let us kids go to movies. They didn't care as much about that, but they wouldn't go. Why? Because they didn't like the appearance of, well, there's a lot of doors to a lot of different movies that are being shown currently at this time. And yes, we're going to go see Aladdin, but somebody might think we're going to go see G.I. Jane, and that's rated R. And so we're not going to go see that, but it's an appearance thing. Don't let anything, you know, flee the impo- in any sort of appearance of evil. And so we wouldn't do the movie thing. We never had cable TV. I thought for a long time it was because my parents were cheap. That probably factored into it a little bit, but it also factored into it because what you watched, you know, how much time you spent. If you, if you paid enough, if you invested enough of your resources into cable TV, then you probably watch a lot of TV. And if you watch a lot of TV, then what, when are you getting in your devotion time? So we just never had cable TV uh, in that way. Uh, my private high school, Dan, I went to a private high school, and we had dances that weren't really dances. It was just dinners with music, and, and um, we played exactly zero boys to men slow songs because, um, you know, dancing leads to all kinds of fornication and all of, <laughs> all of that. It was all very confusing, very confusing for me, though. Because in spite of all of these fences that have been established and, and put up, sometimes, actually probably many times, those who are best at keeping the code were often the worst at some of the other aspects of Christianity that were kind of, I feel like, important. Aspects like humility and loving others. And those who were best at keeping the code, the unwritten code of extra fences, were not oftentimes really all that good at some of the other, I feel like, important things. Also confusing. If these things were so important, how did these things slip past God's editing process? How did he miss these incredibly important mentions? And they would say, well, it's because it's the date thing. And it's the, okay, I understand. As best as I could understand, these were extra fences around God's fences to make sure we never got close enough to the edge to fall over a cliff called sin, right? Um, You never want to engage in um, drinking because drinking leads to being drunk and being drunk leads to foolish decisions that leads to infidelity that leads to it's a, just just avoid it altogether the the safer play is to just ask for an orange juice that's that was the how kind of life essentially worked so two questions whether or not you believe this is true and this is it sounds like a cult Brent I know I understand two questions as a result of what I promise you is actual scenarios 
for those people around you who grew up in church and not even know what church they grew up in, but probably had extra fences, do these kinds of extra fences really make a difference? Are they effective in, uh, in stopping us from engaging in, in all of those pleasures that we f- our, our sinful flesh want from us and point us towards a different direction? Uh, do they make a difference? If they're not helpful, aren't they at least harmless? Okay, if they're not even helpful, if they don't really help us in doing that, are they at least harmless? So to the first question, I want to look at a passage. The second one is going to be a little bit more opinion-based. But uh, there's a letter that Paul writes to a church in Colossae, which is a town uh, kind of in uh, Western Turkey, modern-day Western Turkey. But he, he was a guy who would go and plant a church. He would start a church. Uh, he would stay with it for about a year or two, sometimes longer. And then he would leave to go start another one. And he would write letters back and forth to them. Uh, offering kind of advice as an external elder or um, outside advisor. Here's what you need to work on. Uh, you guys are a young church, so therefore think about this. And oftentimes it would be specific to the community at which uh, th- that church found itself. So in Corinth, you have uh, like a very wealthy crossroads town. You've got a lot of money. You've got a temple to Artemis. Um, so sexuality is a big thing, but that's not the true in Colossae. So in Colossae, that letter specifically focuses on kind of a cultish religion type thing. That There are some kind of esoteric, kind of out there religious systems in place in the pagan culture, in the culture surrounding them that he's trying to kind of address. And so he goes into, he writes in Colossians, a very high, it's called um, Christology, a high view of Christ. Victory in Christ, uh, or Christ's victory shows that he kind of is above and beyond all of those other pathways that, that are there. So that's what kind of the whole message is about. And so in chapter two, that was just context for some of this, because there's going to be some things in here about angels and shadows and stars and stuff like that. He's writing to a culture where that kind of a um, uh, mystical religion is prominent. So he's addressing some of those issues there, okay? So chapter 2, verse 16 says this, Therefore, don't let anybody, anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In other words, there are going to be people who have opinions on what you can and cannot eat and how you should participate, and that's a pagan festival, and are you really wanting to celebrate that considering that you're religious? He's like, there's a shadow of the things. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anybody who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. He's talking about community there, the church community, that religious community that they found themselves in, not like our actual physical bodies. All right, keeps moving on. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, right? Baptism for them was, I'm dying to my old way of living, and I'm being raised into new life with him. Why is though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? If you've died to that way of living, then their rules about what should be touched, eaten, washed, cleaned, looked at, all of that kind of probably should no longer apply to you. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. In the vernacular that we're using today, these are all extra man-made fences put up to create an aura of spirituality that don't actually mean anything for you. 
Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. The thing about extra man-made fences is that they can be used to justify a lot of things because they have the appearance of wisdom. I don't want you to waste your life away as an alcoholic with an addiction that cannot be beat, right? That, 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 is, that is insanely difficult to overcome because it's, it's, it's gotten so, so bad, right? I, I, I don't want that for you. And, and so I, I do agree that there are boundaries in which something becomes an addiction and there are fences that God puts in place as a result of that. Fences do exist. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of times they have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, these fences do exist. There are additional fences that can be put up But the problem is, at some point, these man-made fences actually don't have any impact in restraining sensual indulgence. Well, where is the line then, Paul? What are you talking about? How do we avoid that? He doesn't give us any answers. Right after this, he moves on to a completely different thing. He leaves it hanging there. He's like, I get it. I just want you to know. Be careful then the man-made fences that you begin to associate your life with because there can be some that actually don't have any effect whatsoever. And, and I, think that, I think that generally uh, we can get our minds around that. Whether you come from a more conservative or progressive background or whatever, I think you could say, listen, uh, even if you are more conservative and, and the man-made fences have been good for you and you've lived a pretty good life and you feel like, hey, because of the man-made fences that my parents put into place, I turned out to be a pretty good kid and then a pretty good adult and a pretty good college student and I didn't ruin my life with all kinds of stuff. And, and, and I feel like, I, feel like I, 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 I am glad for those and I impose some of those on, on my kids now and I get it. I understand. I, 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 see, I can see the value in some of that. But I think that there, what Paul's trying to say is not that all man-made fences are bad, but you, we must be aware the reality that some of them promote a sense of superiority when it comes to spirituality, false humility, and don't actually work. Well, which ones, Paul? I can't tell you that. You need to be aware. And so this is the thing that we, when we started this church, we said, listen, churches are notorious for, for dragging these in, for creating not a lack of man-made fences, but an overabundance of them because they have the appearance of wisdom and never really thinking through, is this something that then actually works or it doesn't work? And Paul would say, at least, at least some of the time, it really doesn't work. And I think it actually can be harmful for the self-promotion, for the sense of uh, of, of a lack of humility that's engaged with all of this. So the question is, do they work? Paul would say sometimes they don't, and you need to be aware of that. Question number two is, okay, but if they don't work, aren't they kind of essentially harmless? Even if they don't, aren't you better off for it anyways? And that, that's where it gets a little bit trickier, because that's where, that's where there's, I think, a greater divide between conservative and progressive people of faith. For more conservative, aren't they really harmless? I mean, if you don't, what'd you miss out on? Um, if you are um, more progressive, then you would say that there's, then how do you respond? Then, then what does that look like for us? So this part, I don't have a verse and here's what Paul said and Jesus said this and whatever, right? I'm just, I just want to think through, I think logically, um, what are the implications of, are these essentially harmless? I mean, if you missed out, then what did you really miss out on? The problem 
that man-made fences have are three things. One is empty threats. This is probably the most dangerous of them all. Instead of protecting us from sin as advertised, they actually increase the odds that we'll eventually scamper over one of God's actual fences. What's the danger? Aren't they harmless? Aren't man-made fences kind of harmless? No, here's why. Human nature is to push boundaries. That's why when you have a kid and you say, all right, don't touch this and don't touch this, what do they go for immediately? The things that you just said, they could have touched anything in the room, but as soon as you pointed attention to, I don't want you to go in this room, I don't want you to touch this, that's exactly what they go for. It's in our nature to push human boundaries. So when you have these empty threats, you realize you're actually creating more harm than good, right? Because what do you do with a kid? You say, I'm, I'm going to count to three, and if you do not put that down at the count of three, oh, God help you, son. One, two, three. I'm going to give you one more chance. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm telling you, one, two, three. Come on, three. I said three, three and a half. And so what you do is you create these empty threats, and they realize soon, sooner than you wish they would, these threats don't actually mean anything to me. These are what are called empty threats, that I crossed this line and nothing bad happened to me. Therefore, I am less inclined to believe the threats in the future based on my experience with this current empty threat. I worked at an um, uh, asparagus farm when I was in high school. My first job ever, it was kind of like a, I don't even know if I filled out a W-2 form. I think it was all under the table cash, whatever. But I had a friend in high school, his dad on the farm, and they were like, well, we need you to change some water lines in the summer, and we're going to replace an electric fence with a vinyl, white vinyl fence. And so, uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with an electric fence before, but you cannot tell that they are working based on simple observation. It looks like a piece of plastic going across. And so we get down there, and we're like, did you turn it off? I think I turned it off. You better go check. We're throwing rocks at it, keys at it, doing this tap thing to try and see. And so what would happen is one of us would go up to the breaker, flip the breaker off, then we'd start you know, removing the stakes and pulling it down. But it was in sections, and so you'd have to always go up and do this. And the danger that his dad kept you know, telling us and telling us and telling us and over and over again, probably because I was an undocumented worker, is don't get hurt doing this. Make sure that you check because the danger is that you lose the uh, authority that you gave to the power of an electric fence. I have been working with them for two hours. One time I forget to turn the breaker off and I grab it thinking I'm grabbing the fence that I've always grabbed and what happens, right? <laughs> I pee my pants and can't remember my name for 30 minutes. That's what happens. <laughs> so don't don't, that didn't happen. I'm talking in, that's not a pastoral, okay, anyways. So the, the problem is I, you would touch one and, and nothing happens. So then I just go on to the next one and the next one. And then I touch one that actually has problems. And then I don't, another way, another thing, this one actually happened too, is when I was 17 years old, I was working at uh, uh, Doubletree, which is now Red Lion and Pasco, one of the restaurants inside that, that restaurant space. And one of, their, one of our, uh, our manager was moving. She was moving to a place in Richland, and so she asked a couple of us young burly men to come help move some boxes, and so we showed up one day, a Saturday, hot, 90 degrees, middle of summer, uh, 17 years old, and moved these boxes from the truck into the house, and we did this, and we were working for a couple of hours when she said, hey, there's a cooler over there, help yourself to a drink whenever you want, and so I walked over there, uh, me and this other guy whose dad was a police officer, that's important for later details in the story. Open the cooler up, and what's in there? Nothing but Coors Light and Mike's Hard Lemonade. And we go, is there any soda here? <laughs> Hoping for the right answer, you know what I mean. And she's like, oh, didn't grab anything. Just go ahead. You're all right, you know. 
And, uh, I, and so then I'm like, well, is there, is there wa- me, the good Christian, is there water inside? Is there, can I just tap water? And yeah, help yourself. And I'm like, no, you know what? I don't want to risk. Uh, this is a new house. The water, you haven't had the water tested yet, have you? I'll just, I'll just do one of these, whatever these are. What is this, a lemonade? Ignoring the word hard. So at 17, my first drink of alcohol, Mike's hard lemonade, and I pounded that thing down to at least half full. And immediately was like, I don't know if I can drive home, you guys. This is, this is intense. This is, this is crazy. Uh, and I kept working. Those boxes got lighter and lighter as I worked. It was uh, amazing. And I remember like kind of freaking out because my parents had always, I mean, alcohol in our house was that we don't talk about it. We don't think about it. We don't, you know, everything. You it was always, uh, you've got an uncle's brother's cousin twice removed who is a serious alcoholic, and so it's in your blood, so be careful. You know, don't do, you know, that kind of thing. So, which may or may not be true, I have no idea. But uh, uh, so it was always the moment you take one, then, you know, it's, so I'm driving home, like, w- looking for cops in the rearview mirror, driving 10 below the speed limit, you know, worried not only, like, legally, but then also, like, lightning strike. I mean, I'm in a car, so I feel like I have rubber tires, so I might be safe, but I'm going to church on Sunday, worried that somebody's going to ask me about it, youth pastor. Nothing happened. Here's the moral of the story is that nothing happened. And so I was like, I thought, I think I thought that, and they would never, you know, explicitly say this, but I think I thought the world collapses the moment you cross that line. Then when it doesn't, you're like, oh, okay. Now, I had enough of a support system to realize that's stupid to do at 17 and all of, all of that. For those of you who are under 21 in here, I feel like I'm obligated to be able to say, I'm not glorifying this example. I have to move on. Anyways, uh, I, I was realized that, that there was enough structure in place that I didn't, you know, I, I, didn't, I don't want to throw my life away and become super alcoholic, whatever, but there's warnings. Um, all of a sudden, it felt like kind of an envy threat, and so you're less likely to adhere to them in the future. That's the problem. That's really the problem with man-made fences, extra fences when it comes to spirituality. Well, don't do this, because you never know where that leads. And then they cross the line, and nothing happens. They come to church, and they're actually like, I feel, I feel fine. I don't, I, feel, I don't feel like I'm more distanced from God than before. And so then that progression continues and continues. And unfortunately, we fail to realize behind all those other fences are other fences that are actually not to be messed with, but when it becomes kind of MO for us, we, we lose sight of that. Number two is this, um, this idea of misdirection. Actually, actually sorry, miss, we'll go to missing the bar. Missing the bar uh, or raising the bar is this, uh, that extra fences or gold package Christianity doesn't draw people to God, it scares them away. The problem with setting up extra fences is that we feel like we're kind of playing it safe, but the byproduct of having extra fences in our life is that uh, it actually is not in, typically inspiring to those outside the faith. They're actually turned off by it. If you've ever met somebody and, and you're like, hey, tell me about yourself. And they're like, well, you know, I'm so-and-so. I do this for work. And uh, what do you do for fun? What's your hobby? I like to run marathons. You're like, cool, man, good for you. Uh, but I'm not signing up for that. Um, I'm impressed by your level of self-discipline, but it seems a bit out of reach for me now because I breathe hard coming up the stairs right over here, and there's only two of them. You know what I mean? Um, So therefore, kudos, but no thanks. And we said seven years ago, when we read stories about Jesus's ministry when he was 
on earth and doing these things. People who were nothing like Jesus were insanely attracted to him. He had a draw on them like nobody else, like no religious system and no religious leader of his day. Um, And our track record of Christianity has shown us that when you place extra fences in there, it does not draw, they're not attracted to that. They're actually turned away from it. So if we want to be a church for unchurched people, then I'm not saying that we completely disregard fences, but we are ultra careful at which fences we go up and we are constantly evaluating, is this really, is this really something that is laid out in scripture? Because for those, I want to be hardcore on, because I, I, do, I don't want you, I don't want people to destroy. I feel like a spiritual authority to help guide you in not throwing your life away or being, uh, not being aware, having a blind spot in your life about something that's, that's a serious issue. Um, however, I also am crazy passionate about that story where Jesus says that he left the 99 to go searching for the one, right? Uh, that he, that he, he said that this is that I care deeply about um, those people who are hurting and who are broken. Broken. That the church is uh, not a museum of the saints, but a hospital for the bruised and the broken in the world. And so extra fences hurts our inability to do that. The last one, and I don't have a slide for this one, but the last one is this idea of misdirection. The problem with extra fences is that it causes us misdirection. It causes us to focus on the things that we excel at and ignore the things that actually need work in our life. And when Jesus is on the scene, he is notoriously adamant against the Pharisees for this exact thing. He says, you Pharisees, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup remains dirty. That which people can see is super clean and polished, but the thing that actually matters, the thing that the liquid actually comes into contact with is incredibly dirty, and you don't deal with it. Outside appearances, you do all the things right. But there's so much pride in your life. There's so much arrogance. There's so much um, distaste for people who are not like you. There's so much self-superiority, like this, this ego complex that's inside of you, that it's actually destroying you from the inside out. And so the problem with extra fences is we only typically build fences on the things that we excel at, and then it forces us or influences us to ignore those things in our life. It causes us misdirection. Pay no attention to the heart behind the curtain is basically the, the takeaway from this. That we ignore the things that actually require our work and require us to move in the direction of actually growing in our faith. To conclude this idea of man-made fences, I don't think that God makes mistakes. I think that what we see, what we have presented for us in Scripture, which we come together each week and we try and say, how do, what does God want us to do with the time and the life that we have and the experiences that we have, right? Every week we try and say, what do we do with this? And we have our hands pretty well full. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's so much for us to work on. To add things to it, our inevitability is to do to add things that we already find ourselves to be inclined to do well. And that's not great. And they're not only not needed, but they're not helpful, typically. Paul would say they lack the ability to actually restrain any sort of central indulgence. And as I've tried to argue today, I think that at some degree, to some level, they're harmful, and they certainly don't deliver on their promises. 
Rather than producing God-pleasing spirituality, they're more likely to produce pride, arrogance, and self-sufficiency. Rather than providing extra protection against sin, they actually increase the odds that one day we'll ignore clear warnings through our mistaken assumption that they're no more valid than the empty threats posted on our man-made fences. And rather than honoring God and keeping the church pure, they actually scare off the very people he is invited to come in and to participate in. And so, as the leadership team of the church seven years ago, we tried to say, listen, churches are drawn towards establishing man-made fences. How are we going to structure discipleship? How are we going to describe or structure what growth looks like at Eastlake and avoid those things? For some people, it's not enough. We get it. I understand. We get critiqued all the time. You guys are going to do an event where beer is sold? Not only allowed in, but sold? I know you're turning the money into something that, you know, Jesus turned wine into water. Why can't we turn beer into water as well, you know? Water into wine. Anyways, I screwed that analogy up, but you know what I mean. Uh, I can't believe you do that. and It's not enough. I know. I know. Um, It might not be enough for you. And, and we recognize that um, we're, we're constantly trying to evaluate. And we realize that in terms of church world, we're probably more progressive than, than people, some people are comfortable with, and maybe even sometimes me, right? Um, but we're constantly trying to be like, oh, there's so much, there's, there's pros and cons to these fences thing. It's not always just pros. We have to always factor in that. And we are so passionate about creating a church for unchurched people um, that uh, that that is part of the grid by which we filter our structure and, and, our, and, our, and what we do through. So anyways, um, I hope that that makes sense and hope that, hope that becomes some of the vernacular that we use corporately as the, ch- as the church body community or whatever, and then individually in yourself as you kind of figure out for your life. For those of you who are parents, you're struggling with this all the time. For those of you who are in a relationship and trying to create healthy boundaries for our relationship, this is a big deal too. This is um, work life, uh, so many different applications about these what are these boundaries that I'm imposing? And by the way, there's a difference between imposing them on myself. Like all those coming back to those uh, flee temptations, avoid the appearance of evil, uh, and don't do anything that causes your brothers to stumble. When, you are, when those things are self-imposed, when I decide to impose those on myself, that's very different than somebody in a position like mine being an umpire telling you what to do. Does that make sense? Uh, and I think that that's kind of an important thing. And if, and, and looking back in the last few weeks, looking at the light that we've been given and our responsibilities to light that we, to, to respond positively to the light that we know that, and that God gives us more, that's, that's, a, that's how it all plays out. And I think that that has shaped our, our uh, operations, our, uh, the way that we do church. And I think it's important for all of us to understand that. So anyways, let's pray. Father, I... Thank you for a safe enough venue, a safe enough opportunity, this church community, that, that we can discuss these things, because I think that these things kind of go unspoken and undiscussed a lot of the time. And so uh, I pray that you would help give us wisdom corporately to constantly be evaluating which fences um, should be allowed, which, which fences are established in Scripture, and which ones are, are, are wise, and, and not fall into the trap of the appearance of wisdom, but actually lead to spiritual pride and arrogance. Um, that is that is where we don't want to go because in doing that we scare away the very people that you came um, to save and to help. So.
Give us the wisdom to know the difference between those two things, the courage to act on it. In your name, amen.